Welcome back to the NBA Recap Show on the Mojo Sports Network, week six in the association. With me today, Yuri Bilsic, Jack Brophy, Julian Balthazar to talk about the Celtics and the Timberwolves atop of their respective conferences. Orlando's nine-game win streak just coming to an end. We're going to talk about the worst losing streak of all time for Detroit. Sorry, Jack. And everything else that happened and mattered to us this week in the NBA. Jack, we'll start with you. Um, I know it can't have been a great week. Your Detroit Pistons, 17 wins in a row. How are you feeling, mate? 17 losses in a row, yeah. Sorry, absolutely. losses. <laughs> yeah, just to dig, dig it in. List a little bit more. Um, yeah, look, it's disappointing. Good to see Bogey back out there, though, and he started white hot coming off the bench. But, yeah, I think I put in the run sheet, hashtag Deletroit, because they should nearly be deleted the way they're going at the moment. Bring back they're... the Seattle Sonics, I think. Oh, look, they've been rough to watch. Julian, how are you, mate? We haven't spoken in a while. Yes, it's great to be back. I've been watching the NBA every single day. Um, cannot wait to talk about it. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the Magic. I am loving their young team and love watching them. Um, cannot wait to delve into them a bit more. And Yuri, my friend from Perth, how are you doing, mate? Great, Alex, and great to be back with all of you guys once more. And it's it's crazy, right? We're already past a month into the season, a quarter of the way through, and Minnesota, I keep sort of constantly talking about them each and every week, 15-4. and four top of the Western Conference and the Sacramento Kings had that slow start to the season. They're sitting fifth at this stage, fourth or fifth in the Western Conference. So there have been a few teams that have had slow starts but really sort of lifted up their sort of intensity rates as well and sort of really found the groove once again. So now it's been really good on both sides of the conference and can't wait to unpack it with all of you. Yeah, one day late in the recording this week. This is Monday evening. No games today because of the in-season tournament quarterfinals tomorrow. So we'll go for a little preview at the end of the show. Jack, we'll prolong the inevitable just for one segment. We won't get you to talk about Detroit, uh, but something else around the league that interests you this week. I have a feeling it's going to be in Chicago. Um, Give us your thoughts about what's happening with the Bulls. It is the Windy City. Uh, The Bulls, are they going to be blowing up before the trade deadline? Be massive uh, speculation about it for probably eighteen months now that they're going to be doing it. Mm. I'm just not actually sold on what their their plan is by doing that, but also where they're going to actually ship them off because I think Levine of all people, I think they they want too much from him at this stage. He's he's going to want to go to a contending team and he's going to be the third choice within that team, and they're not going to want to pay a max contract with this new CBA coming in. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do then. DeRozan. Yeah, well, I think I think he's dropped off massively this year, and I don't know if he's going to be the player that he was when he was nearly an MVP like two seasons ago. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do there. Do they keep Vukovic as well, Caruso? Let's talk about him getting moved. Yeah, I'm just not sure what's going to happen with the Bulls. It's going to be must-watch until the trade deadline, I think. Jules and Yuri, I'd be interested to think uh, if you've got a trade pending or any ideal destination for either of, you know, Alex Caruso, DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, or Vooch. Um, I think Jack's hit the nail on the head. They'd want to get rid of Levine for a hard reset, but that's a that's like five years, $200 million or something. Um, I think those other three might be more interesting assets. Uh, we'll start with you, Yuri. What's the most interesting asset and where do you want to see him go? It's a very interesting part for where the Bulls are, considering, what, two years ago during... I don't think it's think, interesting at all. Yeah, I think it's terrible, well, and that's why they should blow well, it up. It is well, the may, opposite may of interesting. Others, may, may, maybe for other teams, yes, it is. But considering where the Bulls were, what, 39 and 21 at one point in the 21-22 season, they were sitting on top of the Eastern Conference. Lonzo Ball, unfortunately, goes down, doesn't play, well, hasn't played for almost a couple of years now, arrived at knee injury, January 14, 2022. And unfortunately, they haven't been re-able to sort of fortunate identity, especially with their point guard position, right? It's sort of having a facilitator such as him who can orchestrate the offense so seamlessly is really sort of a grind that case in a way for the Bulls these last sort of one and a half seasons. And speaking of Levine, right, he signed that five-year $251 million deal. He's got still think about three years left and each one of them is about $46, 48 dollars $49 million per season or something like that, which if you're another team trying to take up a take up that contract, I don't think it's very ideal in a way, especially with that new CBA agreement where most likely it's only going to be two players are going to have that max five-year deal and then other players are going to have to sign for two, three, what, two, three-year deals, shall I say, in that aspect. So also with Alex Caruso too, they'll sort of talk about, I think it was on the Zach Lowe podcast or on the, the Brian Windhorse podcast as well, they were talking about Alex Caruso maybe 
the Philadelphia 76ers is one of the teams that has some interest in him as well too. And could, he already probably fits their mold anyway, considering what they got back in the James Harden deal with Robert Covington, the former Sixer too, and part of the process, and Nick Batum who's been an outstanding fit. And those two have really gelled, especially the defensive end as well, for what they already have in terms of Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid doing the heavy lifting of the scoring on a nightly basis. So I think he'd be a really good fit in that part because Philly do have assets in terms of first-round picks that they can trade to Chicago to make the deal work. Milwaukee was another team that was talked about too, but I think already they're, or they're limited on their first-round assets anyway, so don't really see that trade going down too. And DeMar DeRosa, I think the Lakers was a rumour as well that they potentially may have interest in Makes him sense too. Makes so them, yeah. The expiring it's contract sort of in particular. Yeah, so sort of lot of, sort of playing out parts, I think, for whatever these remaining two months sort of play out in itself. And I think the really interesting part as well, the Bulls, these last couple of games, right, so they beat the Bucks in overtime too without, without DeRozan, who sprained his ankle against Boston in that absolutely humiliating loss. And then Zach Levine, I think he had a right foot, right foot soreness, shall I say. And it was quite remarkable in the way that they played. It wasn't that sort of ISO ball, which... Of course, with DeRozan and Levine, that's what normally tends to happen right within the half-court offense. But it was a lot more push to pace, and it certainly mm. caught the Bucks napping, especially they were down early. I think it was 8-2 or 10-2 early on and thought, well, it's going to be a blowout again, probably 30 points. But they really fought in hard too. And Andre Drummond, this is the really peculiar part too, Alex, right? And someone, I think, I might be wrong about this as well in the broadcast, about playing him and Vooch together. I think they've never done that before, though, Chicago, since they acquired Andre Drummond and since they acquired Nikola Vucevic too, that they've never put those two together on the same court together. And, and it's sort of, if you look in that regard too, Vuj can stretch the floor. We saw that during his Orlando Magic days, whereas everyone knows that Andre Drummond is a rim protector and basically lives in the dunker spot every single possession. So I think that's something really intriguing to move forward and see what the Bulls potentially do with that. But definitely Drummond needs more minutes, Alex, with his production right against the Bucks and his rebounding was just phenomenal as always. Jules, any other thoughts on the Bulls? Hard to add more to that, Yuri. I think you were really nailed the nailed it on the head there. But I really like um, Drummond as well. He's a fantastic player. Good enough to be a starting centre, I think, as well. And you touched on the Lakers um, wanting to rose, and I thought Levine might be a good fit for them considering that they don't I, I know they've got Austin Reeves, but really their starting shooting guard position really isn't set in stone yet, um, especially with Reeves being a really good six-man. I think it re- works well, him coming off the bench. So Levine could definitely complement that sort of style that the Lakers play and add some handy, needed offensive points for them as well. We can't just rely on Bron and um, Davis all the time. But, uh, yeah, the Bulls are in a world of pain, 7-14 and 14 at the moment, I believe, and bottom three on the table. So they definitely need some sort of action. I think the argument against Levine to the Lakers and, you know, as an old school Lakers head, I think I would like to see that shooting and that asset be on the team. It's the salary. The salary is a killer. Salary, I mean, sure. and particularly defense. and defense yeah. as well. They're already not a great defensive team this year. LeBron James, if I'm remembering correctly, as a player option for next year, he could not be on the team next year. Then you're stuck with 80s monster contract and Zach Levine and a bunch of other high contracts like Rui Hachimura. I say high, it's like 20 million a year. It's probably a risk the Lakers don't want to take. I wonder, I just thought about this as you were speaking, um, Jules. I wonder if there's a market for Andre Drummond out there as like a backup center, you know, Chet Insurance and OKC. I'm trying to think if Orlando won another big man. They're playing Goga Batazzi a lot. He's been a revelation, but, you know, that's a no-name prior to the NBA season. Um, Anyone got thoughts on Andre Drummond on another team in the league? And then we'll move on to what interested you, Julian, this year, this week. I think, to, to be completely honest with you, I think Drummond's sort of passed his point in time. He can put up good numbers, and it is good, but I think he sort of plays that role well for what, he's, what he is. Like, if he had too many minutes, I don't think his production would go up um, to match his sort of minutes for what it is. Like, he's been a fantastic player throughout his career, but I think now that he's getting on a bit, he's sort of playing that role to perfection. I think Jules and Jury were right, though. His production has been great off the bench. But it's just because also because Vooch isn't going that well on the court as well. So we're looking at that option. All right, Yuri, take us home on the Bulls. Yeah, I just thought about this. And the Boston Celtics, 
I think would be a very good fit on that team. And especially, I think their center spot with Luke Cornette, he's, he provides a lot of valuable production too. And I think let's not talk about those starfish contest jump shots that he tries and does as a closeout, which is pretty funny in itself. But when you look at their rebounding, they're already a pretty strong rebounding team as they are, the Boston Celtics. And having Drummond in that second unit as well, and I think this is the real commodity commodity that they do have too. They've already starting Paul Zingas at the five. Yes, Al Horford's their backup center. But if they decide to go big again, switch Tatum back to the three, play Horford the five and Paul Zingas at the four, that's going to be one big, big front court to deal with, right? And they talk about the Bucks, right, in terms of Giannis, Bobby and Brooke. And those two have only played for, I think, something, it was like 12 something. I forgot about the whole term in terms of those three playing together. But with Drummond and what he would be able to do within that second unit as well for the Celtics and just further strengthen their rebounding, that would be the perfect complement fit, I think, for what the C's need later on in the season. All right, Jules, what has interested you around the NBA this week? I was watching the Nuggets-Suns game and uh, noticed at halftime Kevin Durant moves into the uh, all-time top 10 scorers list. I think he deserves a big amount of praise. In his 17th season, to move into the top 10, considering... Um, he had an Achilles injury, which is not a an easy injury to recover from. Averaging 31 points this season, which is one shy of his career-high 32 points per game. I think it's a phenomenal achievement. And um, yeah, who who better to go to than KD, who's led the Suns without Beal and Booker for the last, well, for basically the first few months. Um, now Booker's back, which is fantastic. But yeah, a lot of credit deserves to go to KD for his resilience, I suppose. And he's, he's put up with a lot of, obviously, some hard, uh, I guess, some... some you know, fans that haven't been on his side throughout the year and stuff as well. So, no, nah, really, really, really big achievement alongside some huge names. And I'm sure he'll go down as one of the best basketballers when he retires. Yeah, he, he did pass uh, Moses Moody, um, Moses, Moses Moody, Malone. Moses Malone, 27,409 points. I was just having a look earlier before we uh, started recording. If he averages 20 points a game for the rest of the season, which isn't, you know, he's 31 at the moment, he can actually pass both Carmelo Anthony and Shaquille O'Neal and become the eighth all-time. So Shaq's at uh, 28,596, about 1,100 points away. So 20 points a game for the rest of the season would get him into eighth. And then it's a fair leap to Wilt Chamberlain. That one might be where it ends. Uh, Any other thoughts on Kevin Durant? Otherwise, Jack, what interests you? Oh, we already did you. Yuri, what interests you? You can have another one later, Jack. Yeah, so speaking about that game, right, also like Julian was watching the Nuggets-Suns game and there was something really fascinating that second half and Durant obviously got off that really hot start from the field. And so what Denver did, right, in the second half was they played Peyton Watson, who's basically, I think, in his second or third season in the NBA and he's got such tremendous length, right? He can basically cover the floor like a Godzilla basically in the way too and he did that on KD in the second half and he basically played him up tight hardly gave him any airspace on his usual mid-range jump shots and a lot of them KD would normally make but it was that pressure that Peyton was applying on him as well just getting a hand to his face and being super aggressive every single defensive possession for the Nuggets really helped and I think that's a really sort of again an interesting piece for the Nuggets because I think within their bench this year, right, and you can probably talk about it too if you want, that it's probably one of their youngest benches they've ever had as well, and probably the most inexperienced bench that they've had in the Malone era since he became the Denver Nuggets head coach back in 2015, apart from, say, Reggie Jackson, who's 33, and DeAndre Jordan, who's 35. The other guys on their bench, right, Julian Strother, I think, 20 by memory, Christian Braun, Christian Brown, shall I say, is 22. Peyton Watson, I think, is 21. So, it's a fairly young second unit that they have, but I think it provides such a different dimension within, which is really giving Coach Malone love sort of, sort of enthusiasm in a way too for what they're producing. So that's something to really point out too, because even though he gave away a couple of fouls, even though by being super aggressive, you got to love that. And I think especially in the Western Conference too, and I think this is the big part. He was guarding De'Aaron Fox as well in, in their lost to Sacramento Kings. So he'll take up, take up those assignments of, say, guarding James Harden or Paul George from the LA Clippers, guarding a Steph Curry or guarding a Clay Thompson, even guarding LeBron potentially too when the Nuggets do meet up with the Lakers. It's a really, I think they've found this, it's probably too early to pull the trigger on this, but they've definitely found a defensive stopper, Denver, 
apart from Aaron Gordon, of course, and Contavious Caldwell Pope to really sort of enhance their defensive rating. All right, a couple of things worth noting this week for the Mavericks as well. One, uh, they got sold out of nowhere. Um, a bit of a unique deal where Mark Cuban sells a majority share but maintains uh, total control over basketball operations. So I wonder what happened there, but Cubes isn't going anywhere. Also worth talking about the Dallas Mavericks went on a 30-0 run. Yuri, you were the one who put this in the dock. You can tell us what happened and then we can talk as a squad what the hell happened. Um, don't spoil who won that game yet. It was against Oklahoma. It was. It was absolutely mind-blowing to say the least, Alex, right? They were down 111-87 with about 10-28 left and you're thinking, well, probably close to game over anyway. But in today's NBA, 24 points can be easily whittled away in a six, seven-minute stretch and that's what the Dallas Mavericks did, right? They rattled off a 30-0 run. It was just incredible, right? Luka was facilitating. They ran a lot of double drag screens as well and set up Seth Curry, who hit such big threes along the way too. And Derek Jones too, and his corner threes that he's really excelling at this season, hit a couple of critical ones there too. And there was a lineup that they went as well. Derek Lively, who, of course, Luka's really developed this Amazing chemistry already, right, with Dallas's first-round pick from this year's draft. And, of course, Seth Curry was in that lineup there. And I think Olivier Maximia Prosper was in that lineup. Close that enough. I don't know how to well. say that dude's yeah. name either. I've got no idea. That's why I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, going, it's going to take some time there. But, yeah, and Derek Jones, Derek Jones Jr., shall I say, was in that lineup too. So it was the lineup that they had out on the floor was tremendous, right? And they just completely scrambled all across the defensive end as well. They're really active too. And Seth drew a charge as well down the stretch there. And it's all sort of really set the precedent too. And I think once that Dallas crowd gets really loud and we know that the loudest, I think, home ring rings, shall I say, as well, I have the 30 teams in the league. It just really got to that crescendo point. And if you, didn't, to, if you didn't know what happened yep. in this game, you'd think that Dallas had won by the way we're talking. They actually lost yeah. that game. I don't know if you watched the highlights or saw the game, Jack or Jules. So Dallas go on a 30-0 run. There's about four minutes remaining in the game. And um, my biggest takeaway is Chet Holmgren just turned it on after that run finished. There must have been four or five minutes remaining. And I think he must have had four assists, some big rebounds, some big buckets, and like at least half of his five blocks in that game in that last four-minute period. If you watch the highlights, yeah, the run's great. And then as soon as the run ends, it's the Chet Holmgren show. Um, Jack and Jules, I want to hear your thoughts. He is the next coming of KD who Julian just spoke about earlier. Like just the way he sort of moves, Chet I'm speaking about here at the moment. He's just incredible to watch. And I reckon his upside is is just incredible. He can score, he can block, he can get steals, he can make some plays. Just be interesting to see if he can keep himself healthy after being injured last year. But... I love watching Chet play. He has uh, interestingly moved into favourite for Rookie of the Year, which is something that all of us, except for Alex, did not see coming <laughs> uh, at the start of the year. And I think a lot of us, and we'll probably go back and listen to the episodes, or we'll, we might delete them actually, but a lot of us said that. Uh, <laughs> Staying up forever. <laughs> um, a couple other things to mention before we get on to our next segment. Um, Gary Payton II has got a torn calf for the Warriors. Uh, I didn't see the severity on this one yet. They've just mentioned he'll be out a while uh, Trey Murphy III made his season debut for the New Orleans Pelicans. He had either 18 or 22 points first game back. He suffered a meniscus injury preseason. And uh, this is a lovely segue. Bogdan Bogdanovich returned for Detroit to make his season debut. Our next segment is the discussion for who has the worst streak so far. The Detroit Pistons, 17 losses in a row versus the San Antonio Spurs, 14 losses in a row. We've got one San Antonio Spur fan in me. I've been to San Antonio. I'll call myself the San Antonio fan. One Detroit. I want to call him a Detroit D head, but you know, there's kids that listen to this, this show. Uh, a, a loser who goes for Detroit for some reason. Um, Jack, I was being a little harsh for you, but I did watch <laughs> Bogey's return. They look like a better team. Talk to us about Detroit's 17 losses in a row. I don't, I don't want to know about how bad it's made you feel inside. I want to know, is there any potential growth from this period? Has it been worth it? Have you seen anything maybe in the last four or five games that makes you think, okay, Monty Williams hasn't lost his goddamn mind? Well, the thing that's got me concerned is Troy Weaver, the general manager. The players that he's brought in, he's had this 
ample top five picks over, what, the last five seasons. Killian Hayes, for me, is not up to scratch for it. He can be good on defense, but for me, he shouldn't be starting in the team. And he's played point guard, shooting guard, and small forward. They're just trying to figure out what to do with him. Play him off the bench. I, it's, I would trade him, to be completely honest with you. And that's, that's the brutal truth of it. He's been in the league for a while now. He doesn't gel with the rest of the team. He tries to play very similar to the way that Cade does, but doesn't have the same scoring output. Um, he, he's a bit of a problem at the moment. Jaden Ivey's disgruntled because he's not getting the minutes that Killian Hayes is. I just think that the, the starting five lineup that we've had hasn't been correct for the way that it should be panned out. I think that it should be uh, Cade at the one, Ivey at the two, Bojan Bogdanovic at the three, I'm missing someone here. Asar Thompson either at the three or four. You can swap that round and then Jalen Duran at the centre. And um, now that um, Bogey's back, that has to be the lineup going soon. If not, there's got to be ample trades of these picks to try and get someone in because it's just gone on for too long. Jules, I'll throw to you in just a second. Um, that Bogey return is critical because Detroit, 29th in the league in both three pointers made and attempted. Uh, a couple of other stats worth throwing out. They're 29th in net rating, 29th in turnovers, last in the league in fouls. They're second in two point attempts, but 24th in percentage made. So they're not converting a lot of them. Um, a couple of positives for Detroit seventh in rebounds. They play a lot of forwards, um, ninth in assists, which shocked me to be honest. Um, and they're third in opposing three-point percentage. Their opponents shoot just 30%, which uh, didn't see that one coming, but happy to throw in there. Jules, I'd like your thoughts, and then we can go back to Jack and Yuri about what the hell the rest of the season might look like in Detroit. Well, I'd like to know essentially what they're doing with the lineup, as Jack pointed out, but I thought, especially since I have Asad Thompson in my fantasy team, and he started off fantastic with incredible rebounding, steals, and blocks, and then the other day I saw he only had about 16 minutes, and I'm going, what? How is this happening? And then, you know, as Jack mentioned, Killian Hayes listed as a forward has to be the biggest joke of it all. <laughs> <laughs> I was an in and out point guard last year, and I think he averaged, I, th- I think he, five was assists was like his average or six assists around that point. And now he's playing small forward, which is just not his role at all. But also, Isaiah Stewart as well, like he's not even a power forward. He's a center, isn't he? And with, Dur- you know, Duran and him, they're not gelling together. I don't really know what the answer is, to be honest. I watch a lot of Pistons games. I don't think they're that far off the mark as the, the streak shows. I think sometimes they can be competitive in games. But I think the, this is a classic case of having too many of too many similar players and then not putting them in their right positions. So, yeah, I'd love to know, Jack, what you think about Thompson being dropped and, and how Stewart fits in as a power forward. I've actually got Thompson in my other fantasy, and I thought the same thing. Like, why is this bloke coming off the bench? If you need to rest him, rest him. But... Um, yeah, Stewart, not good enough as well, to be brutally honest, in a starting mm. five. He wouldn't start anywhere else in the league as a <laughs> power forward. Like, so why, why is he starting on our team? Because we're the worst. It makes sense. Um, but for me, you spoke about us being ninth in assists, but I'm not sure if the stat is there, but I guarantee you we'll be 30th in turnovers because our assisted turnover 29th. Rate, 29th exactly. in turnovers. You'd be right there. So... Cade Cunningham as well, I've been massive on him, but his assist-to-turnover ratio is just not good enough. He doesn't handle the ball well going forward, and he plays a little bit ISO at times, which is it just looks stagnant, and the rest of the team doesn't know what to do with it as a young side. So, yeah, they've got to clean up the turnovers massively uh, and probably clean up the rest of the roster as well while they're at it. So I did notice that from watching, a lot of, from watching a lot of Pistons games. Jeez, Cunningham, he just throws that ball away, honestly. It's yeah. like he's going for like a highlight assist every time he passes that ball. It's, it's incredible how many times they turn the ball over. So that um, statistic is not surprising at all. Jack, I had you on my show preseason to do the Detroit Pistons uh, preview, Daily NBA with Alexander J. That's a plug oh, for my no, show. No, no, it's fine. I wasn't going to throw you on the bus. I was more positive saying Detroit's maybe the only team in the league that really shouldn't give a shit what happens this year. They have enough pieces. They should figure out what they've got. They've got a brand new coach. Even I've been a little bit disappointed, like 17 losses in a row is a bit much. Um, They were in that Cleveland game for a little bit and then Cleveland pulled away at the end. Do you see light at the end of the tunnel at all? Uh, Not for the rest of this season, at least, obviously, for the way that it's going. And like I said, there has to actually be movement from here, I think. How, like, how long can you keep going back to the draft for and then drafting the same, same players like Julian just said earlier? It's just rinse and repeat process. Um, and, yeah, they're in a bit of strife. 
Now, as bad as the Pistons have been, the San Antonio Spurs have lost 14 games in a row. They have the number one pick in Victor Wembanyama, who I think has played in every single one of those games except the last one. He sat out as a precautionary measure. Um, the Spurs, interestingly enough, they're third in pace and third in assists, but they're 30th in net rating, meaning their offense and their defense, both terrible. Uh, 29th and 30th in free throws made and attempted. They don't get to the line at all. They're 28th in turnovers. They're right there with Detroit. And 27th in opposing field goal. Their opponents score 50% of their shots from the floor, which when you've got lengthy defenders like Jeremy Sohan or uh, Kelton Johnson's not so lengthy, but Victor Wembanyama especially, um, a bit of a shocking stat. Yuri, I'd like your thoughts on the Spurs if you're prepared, and then we can throw it back around because I'm not convinced Detroit's worse than the Spurs. And yes, the Spurs are also kind of doing it on purpose, but it's still the point, mate. It stands. Yeah, I sort of found it a bit perplexing with the Spurs currently this season, Alex. Just after our three and two starting to really hit the skids as badly as this, and he could make the case that they could have won over the Atlanta Hawks as well if that last possession by Jeremy Sohan drives to the basket and Trey Young steps in front to draw draw the charge and inevitably terrible give the call. Hawks they the win. They should have won that game. You're yeah. right. It's a terrible call. Yep. There's, there's a game there that they should have won too. And I think they beat the Grizzlies as well, but Memphis have had their rash of injuries as well currently this season. But it's just really – I think we spoke about last week, Alex, too, about the point guard position there playing Jeremy Sohan at the point guard spot and trying to really develop his craft as a facilitator. But when you look at the different play vision between him and Trey Jones, right, it is so contrasting. It's not funny at all, especially with their sort of nuances in terms of being a point guard. And Trey Jones is just that traditional point where it's all about facilitating and getting his teammates involved within the half-court offense or even in transition. Whereas I think with Sohan as well, it's sort of, at this stage, a bit of a mix whether to pass it first or whether to shoot it or whether to make the right play pass it to the corner or whether to distribute for a skip pass or kick out. I think those are still elements that he's still trying to figure out too. And that's going to take time in itself. So that's just an area there, I think, for him to sort of de develop a bit further too. But I think the other part recently too, Alex, just looking at sort of their recent games the Spurs is – Devin Vassell was starting right, I think, the first 10, 11 games of the season. And now he's basically coming off the bench as their sixth man. I think Malachi Brannon is, has replaced him in, as if the I'm starting shooter. If I'm not mistaken, guard. he may have got slightly injured and they may have been limiting his yeah. minutes. I'd be shocked if it was a true six-man scenario, but I think from memory, maybe he was injured, up with yeah. yeah. He, was out, he was out for about two months nearly, I think. Maybe yeah, okay. Bit, yeah. Maybe a bit less. Yeah, just something interesting about that too. So... I think all those numbers that you rattled off earlier, Alex, about their opponent's field goal percentage, right? And in the halcyon days of the Spurs era, right, no way they would have allowed opposition teams to shoot 50% from the field. And no way would have they committed 17, 18 turnovers on average per game, right? That's just so uncharacteristic, uncharacteristic, shall I say, of the Spurs. And it's all of those growing pains, right, from last season now to this season. And it's again. It's just a matter of figuring out about the right combinations along the way too, and I think just being more consistent defensively too, because that again is just going to take a little bit of adjustment too, especially with the young core that they do have at this time moving forward. So just a few interesting points to talk about there with the Spurs, and hopefully for them as well that the fortunes do change sooner than later too, and it doesn't really hit the skids as badly as say back in ninety six, ninety seven when. Greg Popovich did take over from Bob Hill early in that season. Jack and Jules, I'll throw to you for this question. Uh, who ends their losing streak first? So the next several games for the Pistons are up against the Grizzlies. So massive, massive opportunity against the Grizzlies, although Jaron Jackson Jr. and Desmond Bain both have returned to form. Uh, then they play the Magic, the Pistons, the 76ers twice, then the Bucks then the Hawks and the Jazz. So that's potentially after the Grizzlies, one, two, three, four, five, five and a half tough games before another opportunity rolls around. Or the San Antonio Spurs play the Timberwolves, the Bulls who have been hot and cold, the Rockets potentially a win. Actually, is that at home? Because the Rockets haven't won on the road this year. That's the Toyota mm. Center, which is in Houston. Um, that sucks. And then I've just clicked out of whatever my future <laughs> games were scheduled to be. So who ends the winning streak next? 
Spurs, definitely. I, I still think that the Pistons are way worse. And to be honest, just on top of that, there is so many bad teams at the bottom of the East at the moment. It's ridiculous. Um, the, of course, the West has got a couple as well in the Spurs. Trailblazers aren't great. The Jazz aren't fantastic. And the Grizzlies have struggled so far. But Detroit, Washington, Chicago, Charlotte, all absolutely stink this year. So it's an absolute walk for the East to make the play-ins at least, even if you're a half-good side. I don't disagree. All I'm saying is Charlotte has been fun to watch every time I flick them on through League Pass. Um, Jules, any thoughts on uh, the Spurs, Charlotte Hornets or the Detroit Pistons before we move on to our (laughs) in-season tournament predictions? I'd just be guessing. I want to say the Spurs will beat the Bulls, but I know the Spurs um, average the most points against for the point guard position. And I think, you know, even though Zach Levine isn't a point guard, I know they struggle defending guards. So he'll probably turn it on against the Spurs for those who enjoy prop bets. But no, I I really don't know. I'd just be throwing a guess out there. I'll say the um, the Spurs will end it first just because, but I have no idea. Yuri, one word, Spurs or Pistons? I feel as though Detroit That's not one word. Like that. That's not one word. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, what's the one word there? <laughs> Spurs or Pistons? Who oh, ends the winning streak? Pistons. Street? Pistons. Okay. Oh, I think the Spurs. So three of us learning to Spurs. All right, moving on to the in-season tournament predictions. No games on today. We have the four quarterfinal matchups over the next two days. Uh, the Celtics take on Indiana, Bucks versus Knicks, Kings versus Pelicans, and then it's the KD LeBron duel in the Suns versus Lakers. Um, let's start with the Celtics versus Indiana. My little spiel I prepared earlier says that the last time the Pacers played the Celtics, the Celtics put 155 on them. Uh, it was a 51-point victory. This game's a real clash of the styles. Boston's defense, at the, particularly at the start of the season, was really, really great. Um, Indiana play a ridiculous pace. They try and put 155 on you every week. Uh, the Celtics are 8-2 and two in their last hand games leading into this, whereas the Pacers, who are 10-8 and eight on the season, are just 5-5 uh, five and five in their last 10. Uh, Jules, we'll start with you. Thoughts on Celtics versus Indiana? Well, it is the number one offense, Pacers, versus a fantastic defensive team in Boston. Um, but reading a couple of sources as well, and I know the, the lineups aren't out yet, but Tyrese Halliburton is under an injury cloud. And without him, it makes it almost, well, I don't want to say impossible because anything's possible in the they NBA. They had a good win without him two days ago. Yeah, yeah. They, did. they did against Miami, but it makes it really tricky for them to win against the Celtics. I think the one thing the Pacers might have in their favor, especially if, Pacers, if, if Halliburton plays for the Pacers, is that Celtics um, average a really high uh, field goal percentage against for three-pointers. And I know the Pacers love jacking up those three-pointers. So if Halliburton catches fire from you know outside the arc, that's that's their, their way they'll win. And I suppose if Boston don't have Paul Zingas, and his rim protection, I guess that opens up, you know, some defensive play for Miles Turner to come in and get some blocks. But I think the offensive power from Tatum, Brown, even Holiday, and even White, I suppose you could say now as well, um, is going to be too strong. I think I suggest that the Celtics would be very, very heavy favorites for this one. I think Porzingis is still out with a lower leg injury, if I'm not mistaken, as well for this game. Uh, Jack, yeah. your thoughts on this matchup? Absolute ditto to what Julian said. He had all of my points and nailed it, so I agree. <laughs> You're a genius, mate. All right, uh, Yuri, last one to you. Uh, thoughts on the Celtics-Indiana matchup? Yeah, completely agree with all of you with the C's as well. And I just think those sort of bigger lengths as well, the sort of the switching that the Celtics love to do as well is going to cause the Pacers love disruption in the half-court offense, especially if they can't push in transition and get early shots up early in the shot clock. I think that's going to be a bit of a tricky proposition for the Pacers, and they sort of witnessed that in their first meeting early this season too with the way the Seas absolutely shot the lights out of the ball. And like the Pacers, the Celtics love to hit a number of threes as well. I think they're number one for three-point attempts, if not mistaken as well, about 43 per game. So it's a real sort of aspect that they thrive on too. And... I think the big part as well for the Pacers as well is how do they potentially shut down Jason Tatum and the sort of the matchup that they're going to go to in that regard. That's a real sort of conundrum, I think, that the Pacers will have there too because especially where you can put Tatum on all different positions on the floor as well, in the ISO ball, and even if they play him sort of, I don't know, say 10 to 15 feet from the basket for those touches on the block, which he's really developed as well over, what, six, seven seasons since he got drafted back in 2017. So that's the real sort of headache, I think, that Indiana's going to have. And I think Tyrese spoke about it too recently about their defense, right? They're scoring at, what, 128.8 points per game or something like that, which is the highest since the Denver Nuggets back in 1981-82, which they 
think he averaged about 126 points per game, is that offensively, we can score with the best. It's defensively too. And Rick Carlisle's always been known for being a defense preach coach first sort of type of guy as well. And he basically has done that to a number of teams as well who've transformed sort of their defensive identity over the years as well, including the Pistons, the Pacers, the Dallas Mavericks too. And so that's going to be a real sort of intriguing watch in that part too. But I just feel as though the Celtics' offensive firepower, I think it's just going to be far too much as well. And especially, I think, within that big man battle too with Chris Upsporzingis and Al Horford going up against Miles Turner and also... Al Horford's been playing really well recently. Yeah, let's take a moment to put some respect on Al Horford's name. And Jalen Smith too. Yeah, Jalen Smith's Smith been good. Sort of got found himself back in rotation. Remember yeah. last season he was the starting power forward and sort of lost his way a fair bit, which was yeah a little bit disappointing. At the paces, didn't give him more regular minutes. So it's really good to see him sort of be a real contributor too within the paces second unit. So that's something really to look out for there. But just to tie it all, the Celtics just I think both ends of the floor just consistently for forty eight minutes just going to prove too too much. Yeah, you raised an interesting point uh, just quickly before we move on to the Bucks first Knicks about who would guide Jason Tatum. That got me thinking about who would guide everyone else in this team. And looking at their roster, I don't think I've ever paid attention to a defensive scheme for Indiana. So I'll be paying attention in this quarterfinal game to see what they try and roll out there with. Uh, looks like we're all leaning towards the Celtics. For me, this is the most fun upset if Indiana win. And this is the one I'm going for the most as I get some nods around the Riverside call. Uh, no Zoom anymore. All right, moving on. Bucks versus Knicks um, in the first matchup. It was a battle of the guards. Jalen Brunson had 45 as he went up against, you know, the defense that hasn't been that great for Milwaukee. Uh, Bucks won by five in that game, though. So they're eight, two over their last 10 games after a pretty poor start. The Knicks are seven and three, and they've been playing really great basketball. I've caught like four out of the last six Knicks games. Um, Jules, we'll start with you again. Uh, thoughts on this Bucks versus Knicks matchup? Uh, tough one. I don't have a huge amount of insights for this game. I'd love to hear what the boys think. I, I think this game will be closer than people think. I think the matchups are really, really close, and it's going to be tricky to see. I think is it, it played at the Bucks, right? They've got the home court advantage for this one. Correct. That yep. probably serves in their favor. I think they're super strong at home, and really a lot of this will come down to Lillard. He's, he's shown a roller coaster of performances, some being really, really great, and then some not-so-great performances from him. So if he gets a better of Jalen Brunson, or even Barrett might be matched up on him, um, I reckon the Bucks would be too strong. He's probably built for these games, Lillard. He loves these sort of final sort of games. So I think, um, yeah, Bucks probably too strong, but I think it'll be closer than people think. The uh, the Knicks, um, they're not far off from getting it right. No, they're not, especially as Julius Randle. Again, really solid. He had a game, I want to say off the top of my head, where it was 20 points, 19 rebounds, or something similar to that in the last couple of days. Um, apologies if I got that wrong. Jack, your thoughts on the Bucks versus Knicks matchup? Yeah, it's a toss of the coin as well. I think both teams, I can't trust the Knicks, but in, for some reason I can't trust the Bucks this season either. Like it's yeah. really hard to gauge where they're at. They're going to take a lot of games to um, really sort of feel like you can trust them. And I reckon the Knicks win in overtime. In overtime, oh, big call. And Yuri, <laughs> thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, completely agree with both Julian and Jack too with the Bucks defense. It's just, it's Swiss cheese D as Clyde Walt Frazier loves to say as well in the Nick's home telecast games and it's been that way this season which is a real head scratcher to sort of put in perspective too considering what they're able to accomplish with Mike Budenholzer's system as well and they were just so gritty and sturdy on that end it's just it's basically just like sort of cardboard in a way just absolutely being torn to shreds with regularity which is a real disappointment too and if they can if they don't figure it out sooner or later then there's no way at this stage that they're going to advance further than what I think most people expect to be the Eastern Conference Finals or the NBA Finals. But going back to the Knicks-Bucks matchup here, and we saw, right, I think it was November 3rd was the matchup, the first meeting between the teams, and Jalen Brunson just was absolutely cooking, right? The 45 points, he hit that go-ahead three, I think, with about a minute four left to put the Knicks ahead by one. And he just always just makes his incredibly tough shots as well, but he just definitely finds that mid-range spot on the elbow with such consistency, and that's going to be the real part too, I think, for the Bucks is how do they defend that high pick and roll 
whether it is Julius Randle setting the screen or whether it's a one-five pick and roll with Mitchell Robinson setting the screen up top as well and Brunson snaking his way to that elbow spot for the jumper. For how the Bucks do defend that as well, because we've seen, right, with Brook Lopez after what the first four games this season where he was playing more aggressively as that hedge in the way, but now playing back to his accustomed drop zone, is that's going to be really intriguing to sort of watch that and see how it really plays out too. And the rebounding count as well with the Knicks, right? And all of us know about Tibbs' teams where they just absolutely crash the offensive glass. They grab a stack of rebounds as well. And when you have Mitchell Robinson, who's averaging, what, about 5.8 offensive rebounds per game, which is like Ben Wallace numbers and Dennis Rodman numbers, somehow they've got to keep their eyes peeled on him and block him out of every single opportunity to deny him those offensive rebounds too, because once he gets his hands on that carom, good luck. And that's going to be the real sort of barometer, I think, for the Bucks as well. Even though their rebounding has improved in these last handful of games as well, they're not bottom three anymore for rebounding. Got to look out for that part too. And I think the other aspect as well within this matchup is the Knicks small ball lineup as well. They love, they've also done a bit of small ball too, playing Josh Hart at the power forward spot and where he can play him with Julius Randle at the five or even Isaiah Hartenstein who's given the Nick's such great production as well with his hustle and his rebounding too and his screen setting as well. So they've got a really sort of opposing threat to of different matchups that they can sort of counteract, counteract with the Bucks as well, Alex. And this is going to be absolutely no train ride or easy ticket ride whatsoever, right, in this matchup. And Considering what the Knicks have done these last three games, now they're 12 and 7. They're sitting fifth in the Eastern Conference and really starting to find their mojo. Wouldn't be surprised one bit if the Knicks do win this. I've got in my notes, this one's going to be a real slobber knocker. That's a note to JR, the old commentary guy on WWF back in the day. All right, very quickly, because I know we got to let Jack go. He's a very busy man. Uh, Kings versus Pelicans. This is the one I don't have a read over. Uh, the Pelicans beat the Kings twice in a single week earlier in November. Kings still a really young, hungry team. The Pelicans have an odd chemistry with Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. They've got Jose Alvarado back. They've got Trey Murphy the third. Uh, they're both seven and three or six and four in their last 10 games. Jack, your thoughts on this matchup? Pelicans were my roughie to win the chip. Well, maybe they can win the NBA Cup instead. <laughs> Zion starting to get back scary good form, and I reckon B.I., uh, Brandon Ingram, has had the most underrated season in the NBA. He's actually putting up really good numbers. Um, Pelicans have been that. I love to hear that from the Slim Reefer. Jules, your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, I, I, I think I'm going to stick with the Pelicans, even though now, even though they have 2-0 win over Kings, and Kings probably will learn some things out of it. I think Williamson and Ingram are way too much to, for the Kings to stop. They don't have the defensive... I guess, power to stop that. So I'm going to stick with the Pelicans um, to go 3-0 against the Kings. I'll tip the Kings. I've watched them the last couple of games. I see enough out of them. I probably haven't watched enough Pelicans basketball, to be honest. So that's why I'm picking the Kings. And Yuri, really quickly, have you got a pick for this matchup before we get to Suns and Lakers? Yeah, yeah got the Pels as well in this matchup too, Alex. And I think those different options that they can throw up at De'Aaron Fox as well, they can put a Herb Jones on him. And I think that's where yeah. they're going to go mm. with that matchup. And really covering 94 feet every single time he has the ball in hand. And I think Najee Marshall is another one too that they can look to utilise when Herb's out of the game to guard De'Aaron if those situations do eventuate too and or really sort of curb his productions. Yeah, even Dyson Daniels too. And I think the centre matchup as well with DeMarcus Sabonis and Jonas Valanciunas and sort of Valanciunas doesn't get enough credit right for what he does on, at, on the Pels. He's and starting to fall into since... that Stephen Adams category where he's a big, tough old yeah. master who just does the job and does it good and uh, <laughs> yeah. everyone kind yeah. of looks past that. But no, awesome. it doesn't go unnoticed with me. He's got a lot of like 15-15 games going on recently. All right, um, just before I do forget, before we get to the Suns-Lakers preview, I'm working on a surprise for you guys. Um, we typically record the show on Sundays Australian time. I don't know if we're going to do it next week, but that's when the final of the in-season tournament is. I have a man on the ground in that game in Las Vegas. So I'm hoping we have a, an international correspondent live on the show, if not slightly tape delayed. I'm working on that one. I'll put it in the ether out live on this recording. So I have to commit to get him to do it. But working on a live cross to that game. Um, and then the Suns versus Lakers is the KD LeBron matchup. It's the second time we're going to get it in about five years. No Brad Beal still. He's got a perplexing nerve issue in his back. 
but the Suns are eight and two when Divin Booker is in the lineup. Lakers haven't been great over their last ten game stretch. I'm not really impressed with them. Uh, Suns eight and two in their last ten games. Jack, Jules, then Yuri, your thoughts, please. Uh, it will be either the Lakers win this by five or the Suns win this by 19 points. It's, there's no in-between with it for me. You can't trust the Lakers like you just said, but the Suns, um, they're rotating their lineups like a Kardashian's partner. It is ridiculous what they're doing. Bradley Beal, <laughs> it's, it's giving me shades of Brooklyn Nets in the way that um, Kyrie was missing minutes. It's just, it's just so happens to be around KD all the time, even though I absolutely love him. So... The Suns need to get something clicking here with actual continuing with the plays that they have on their roster, but they should still win this. Phils? Jeez, KD, uh, he's played LeBron, I think, 24 times in his career. Might be 24 or 25 times. He scored over 20 points in 96 or so percent of those games. So he always turns it on when he plays against LeBron. I mean, that's pretty normal for KD to average over 20, but I think if I was to say over 25, 30, that would be maybe about 70 to 80%, which is huge. He loves playing against LeBron. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm going to go the Suns purely for the fact that um, Book is in the side and KD loves to play LeBron. Yuri? Yeah, got the Suns narrowly, I think, in this one too. We saw the first matchup early this season, right, which the Lakers won 195. And Durant, I think, only shot 7 of 22 from the field that night and don't see him shooting 7 for 22 once again or 8 of 22 or 8 of 25 when they played the Denver Nuggets a couple of nights ago. That would not be happening whatsoever. KD always bounces back from subpar shooting performances, especially when he shoot the ball, what, 51.1% or something from the floor. It just is so inevitable. And I think as well, they've got enough offensive firepower too, what Grace Allen and Eric Gordon, especially Eric Gordon this season too, covering for Devin Booker at times when he's been out through injury and it's just been another nice ad- additional pickup too. And Yusuf Nurkic the last couple of games as well, he had the third season-high 31 points yeah, he's been against good. the Denver Nuggets, although he did foul out for that sort of flagrant one elbow to Nikola Jokic. And those two were going back and forth each other all night, which was great to see as well, the, back to basically the 1980s, 1990s all over again. But, yeah, I just feel as though the Suns, I think, just got enough within, yeah. especially I think within the second unit as well by playing – Keita Bates G up the up as well, who's been a nice complimentary piece for them too. And Nasir Little, when they give him minutes too, can really provide a defensive presence on the perimeter. So they've got enough on that end to sort of really stifle out the Lakers as well. And everyone here knows that the Lakers three point shooting is pretty abysmal. So if they can't get that clicking, then it's going to be a bit of a hard slog for them. Yeah, all right. I've got the Suns as well. Jack, do you have time for your performance of the week? Because we've got to let you go. Absolutely scary Terry, my man from the Hornets. Had 37 points, 13 assists, 7 from 9 from 3 points percentage, which is just incredible. They got the W over the Nets. Um, he has these games at least like two or three times a year, I reckon. You go, oh, he's back. But uh, he's, been an awesome <laughs> he's been an awesome player for a while. So uh, thanks for having me on again, guys, and um, hope to see you next week. That's right. Thanks for uh, coming on, and we'll talk again Cheers, in a Jack. little bit. Thanks, Jack. Uh, Jules, your performance of the week is? Mr. De'Aaron Fox, 26 points, 16 assists of 10 out of 22 shooting from the field, three steals and a block, and led the Kings to a victory over the Nuggets. That was a good uh, performance too. It was a great game to watch. Yuri, your performance of the week? Yeah, got Shaden Sharp's performance against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Alex on Portland's recent four-game road trip, which they went two and two, and should have been three and one if they hadn't coughed up that twenty-six-point lead to the Bucks a week ago. And his production right throughout this season, Alex, he's just gotten better and better with every single game, right? And he's he also became the youngest Trailblazer to record a twenty-five point, ten rebound, five assist game in team history, which speaks volumes for why he's such an integral cornerstone piece for the franchise moving forward. And it's just there's no real sort of weakness in his game, right? especially on the offensive end when he can absolutely be an absolute blur to the basket within a second or two. Just the absolutely sheer amount of speed that he's able to get through to the paint. And even some of his double clutch shots against the Cavaliers where he sort of hung in midair and didn't allow Jared Allen to block his shot was just incredible viewing just right throughout too. And his playmaking's gotten a lot better as well. Some of his on-court vision passes as well were really good on show against the Cavs. And I think defensively he's always been sort of that question mark too, but I think he's getting a lot better on that end. And 
they're sort of a very weird team. Is that probably the right term to describe the Portland Trailblazers? Because they've been getting better. Mix- I don't know if they're yeah. like super weird, but they've just they're yeah. not great, and they have been getting better. Unfortunately, um, I don't know if you saw Jeremy Grant hit his head in the fourth quarter two days ago, and he's in concussion protocols at the moment. He's been on a, a good streak too. We overlooked Jeremy Grant as a potential trade piece, seemingly because he's been everywhere around the league. But him and Malcolm Brogdon seem like it's a consistent 25 points a game. Gives enough juice for the young guys to come in and make attempts. I mean, Shaden Sharp had a dunk of the year candidate over Walker Kessler like two days ago. Um, they're not fun to watch, but they're a weird team. I'll, I'll give you that, Yuri. They're a weird team. Yeah, I yeah they are. I can't believe they beat the Cavaliers. That was just a weird – like, that sums it up. Like, what a weird result. Here's, here's 10 <laughs> seconds on the Cavs. I'm not a believer in Donovan Mitchell. I've never been a believer in Donovan Mitchell. And Rudy Gobert flourishing in Minnesota without him. Um, I'm just going to put that in. I don't want to be mean to people, but for whatever reason, I just cannot get behind Donovan Mitchell, a top 10 player in league. I don't believe it. I've never seen it, and we never will. I'll guarantee you on this podcast right now, he'll never win an NBA title as the first or second best player on a team. He's not that good. We've got to get off that in the media. Look at the Cavs. They're directionless. They have him this year. They don't have him. I've gone over my 10 seconds. They don't have him (laughs) under contract for next year. It's thrown the whole team into a flux. They're going to finish with a 500 record. They're worse than they were last year, and they weren't that good last year. First round defeat to the Knicks. That's it. Yeah, and I think the rebound in that series too, Alex, they absolutely annihilated the Cavs on the backboards. Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle had a field day on the glass every single game, and it just completely overwhelmed them to the I point. Should, and I should apologize yes, of course, for that's... hijacking the show. We were on a really good no, tight ship okay. on, on the way to the end with our performance of the week. <laughs> um, yeah, go just ahead. On, just, on, just on that, and, and this will be a little self-flex as well. I, I did mention in my preview that Gobert was $19 for Defensive Player of the Year. You did. He's now, he's now favorite at $3.10, and I didn't place any bets on that, so I'm I'm regretting it a little bit, but I, I agree. He's playing fantastic. I took your offer up, though, and I did put a bet on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, All right. Um, <laughs> any other performances of the week you can choose from? There's a couple worth mentioning. Uh, Nikola Jokic, 36 points, 13 rebounds, 14 assists in a loss against the Kings. Luka Doncic had 36, 18, and 15 in that loss to OKC where they had the 30-nil run. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., a good 37 points in defeat to Phoenix. Tough team there. The Pacers as a whole shooting 78% through the second, third, and fourth quarters against the Heat when they scored 144. I think there was a stat on NBA.com where Pacers missed 15 shots in the first quarter and then 14 shots for the rest of the game. Like Just an incredible shooting performance. Um, I went back and watched the highlights, and that was crazy. Uh, Kobe White scored 31 for the Bulls as they upset the Pelicans, worth mentioning. Uh, Jalen Noel, who's on a 10-day contract. Thank you for pointing this out to me earlier, Yuri. Um, I'll touch you with a sec. 19 points for Memphis uh, against the Mavs in that win. Did you watch that game? I did watch that game, Alex. Watched the first three quarters of that. And also another mention, too, for the Memphis Grizzlies was the job Vince Williams did on Kyrie Irving, held him to just a season-low 10 points on three of 15 shooting. And it's, again, we've talked about the Grizzlies, right, for the last couple of episodes and just the rash amount of injuries that they've had. And that's, unfortunately, the reason why they've got this, what, 6-13 and record at this stage of the season, right, because of injuries. And once they're able to get some of those reinforcements back, especially Ja Moran, who returns, I think, December 19 when they play the New Orleans Pelicans, will... Who knows how much it's going to sort of reverse the tide and get them back to where they to be sort of a potentially a playing team. And we've seen teams, especially in the Western Conference over the years, who've had really slow starts and have really sort of come to life in the back end of the season. And Alex, there's something, I think, when the Grizzlies made the playoffs in 2011, they had a really slow start to that campaign. can't remember exactly the record that they sort of went on that tear to finish 46 and 36 to finish eighth in the West and upset the Spurs in that first round of the series. But they had a really slow start to our campaign under coach Lionel Hollins and really turned it around. So do you see some sort of glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel as well for the Grizzlies if they're just able to conjure something together that they can turn this around sooner than later? Not without the length of Brandon Clark and the strength of Stephen Adams. Um, mm. He was too integral, I think. They've got... Maybe that's a, we'll talk about that on next episode because there's a lot to break down about the return from Ja Morant, uh, return uh, coming from Ja Morant in a couple of games' time. Uh, I would hope that Memphis probably win their three games this week and then maybe it's a conversation. 
but they're going to have to win 80% of their games to make it in the Western Conference too, like a loaded conference. Yeah. Um, so maybe let's pencil that in for next week's discussion. Uh, four more games to talk about. Luka Doncic, 41 points, nine rebounds, nine assists against the mm. Rockets in that comeback win. They came from behind in the fourth quarter. Uh, Zion Williamson misses only one shot as the Pels beat the 76ers without Joel Embiid and Tyrus Maxey. I think Williamson... Who calls Zion Williamson? What did I just do? I think Zion had 33 <laughs> points, eight rebounds, six assists, and three steals. Uh, Joel Embiid, 30 points, 11 rebounds, 11 assists, triple-double in three quarters against the Lakers in LeBron's worst-ever lost 44-point defeat. And then shout-out Reggie Jackson, 35 points for Detroit when everyone else was not playing. They came from behind to beat the Clippers, who I've got no idea what's going on with that team. Uh, Jules, any other thoughts for the week? Then Yuri, any other thoughts for the week? And then I can say goodbye. Uh, I've just got my uh, stat line of the week I'll go through. I, I've got Giannis Antetokounmpo. I, not his triple-double against the Hawks, which is pretty impressive. It's against the Bulls. We, we go for um, a player that excels in every category, points, uh, field goal percentage, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks. He had 26 points, 14 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals, and 5 blocks. Ooh, so he's 3 steals off a 5 by 5 We haven't had one in 4 yes. years. Yeah, 5 by 5 watch. I like it. Yuri, anything else from this week before we say goodbye? Yeah, so you mentioned about Jalen Noel, Alex, too, and he was on the Minnesota Timberwolves roster for four seasons, right? And just unfortunately, injuries really altered his production, too. And we saw last season, he had some a string of really good games and went down with an injury. can't remember exactly what injury it was, and it just really cost him a handful of games, right? And it was just really surprising what happened in the offseason, right? He basically can't remember exactly whether he was waived, no, not waived or not, or whether he was just let go. And the Sacramento Kings picked him up, and then he was let go after that. And the Grizzlies, of course, signed into that ten-day contract as part of that hardship exception because of all the injuries that they've got. And this is a real sort of posing question, I think, for both you, both you, Julian and Alex, about what happens for the rest of the season with Noel. Is do the Grizzlies just? keep him for the rest of the season or does another team sort of come calling and sort of snaffle him up and look for that extra scoring punch off the bench i'll be honest with you i'm an nba sicko i barely barely know who Jaden. i see i just called him Jaden. his name is jalen noel um give me a week's <laughs> worth of research for this segment yuri i'm a sicko no and I, I barely know this guy i know that um he was a free agent when he signed with the kings and then they waived him, which uh, he must have been a training camp signing. But I do remember he was a free agent. I covered that at some point in time. Jules, have you got insight into Jalen Noel? No, when when you're talking about Noel, I thought you meant Nerlens, that guy who gets some, <laughs> gets, he plays three minutes and gets a block or two for the Knicks. No, uh, I have no idea about Jalen Noel. That might be an appropriate time to say goodbye. If still here, please consider leaving us a five-star review. Not sure we deserve it after that performance. Um, <laughs> Jules, I don't know what you've got going on this weekend. Anything in particular? No, just be watching the uh, the basketball. Cannot wait. Sorry, just quickly, actually, I did say KD on versus LeBron. I just quickly had a look. 19 out of 21 games, he's had 25 points or more. So 90% yeah, strike rate. Right. If Hit the over, for sure. Uh, Yuri, I know you've got a couple interesting articles that have just come out, plus coming out in the next week. Um, I'll give you 15 seconds because we really got to go. Okay, so did the Jacob Chance interview, and that was a, such an intriguing chat Where for find 25 it? minutes. So you can find it on the In the Sanctum, which is all basically just under my name, and it's a feature piece which I think runs for about seven or eight minutes. It was a great chat and just really great to learn more about his basketball journey. Gone online, well, not online, but a phone interview tomorrow with Southeast Melbourne Phoenix assistant coach Luke Brennan, who's a former Perth Wildcats assistant, to learn more about his journey too and the road that he's taken on to live out his basketball dream. So it should be a really good chat and it'll be really fascinating to hear what Luke has to say. And also just the NBL talking points from round nine. There are a lot of big upsets to it away. A one big pasty as well from the Tasmania Jack Jumpers over Adelaide 36ers and Dion Vasilovic didn't hold back on sort of his comments during the post-match presser about the travel factor too. But just thinking to myself, mate, you talk about the San Antonio Spurs who have their annual rodeo road trips for the last whatever decade or so, and they have to go eight, nine games away from the AT&T Centre, you don't hear any of their players complain one bit about having to play that length of game. So the NBL sort of got on to that 
as of today as well about those comments made. So it'd be really interesting to see what plays out from here on. So another one too I'm thinking of doing is the Chris Ups Porzingis article as well. And also cheers for that link as well, Alex too. So definitely try and find some vision on that too and really hopefully craft up an article that hopefully engages the readers to it. I get all of my NBL information literally all of it from yuri's mbl recaps on the inner sanctum um i think i get them delivered to my email as well i've got them set up because i just don't have the time for the nbl i know a lot of aussies didn't get into it when they were kids like me i never got into it but it's starting to get pretty good uh if you mm. ever end up if you're over the age 18 with a six pack of beer and the nbl's on it's usually a fun night uh in the household of myself um i'm alexander J. I do uh daily nba with alexander J. five minute episodes five times a week We've gone over time, guys. Yuri Bilsic, Julian Balthazar, thank you very much. And we will see you next week. Cheers, Alex. Thanks, guys. I clicked the outro so late. <laughs> We've got like 10 more seconds. <laughs>